How about a do-over? Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com. And of course, Jeremy's work is always at houstonchronicle.com and expressnews.com down in San Antonio. Jeremy, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. I'm going to be very rude about this. I don't, I don't need to because I already know how you're doing. You're amazed, aren't you? Right? Are you just sort of taken aback by some of the things in the news? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I d- didn't have to ask. Here, here's why. Because here's what you wrote on your social media last evening about the latest twist and turn. It's a twist and a turn all in one. The latest, the latest uh, whatever, <laughs> the latest development in this Ken Paxton saga. As we talked about last week, it is sort of like a soap opera. Every week something will happen with it, and uh, if you haven't paid attention to who all the characters are and what all's going on with it, uh, it can sound very complicated. So I was trying to talk this through with a friend yesterday, Jeremy. Like, this is how you need to say it, I think, just so that people get it. He's accused of being—this is a short version. He's accused of being very, very, very corrupt. And I'm using three varies there. That's the shortest uh, that I can. That's that's as you know. That's as truncated as it can be. Uh, that he's accused of being very, very, very corrupt. He 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 faced an impeachment trial last year. He got off. He faces criminal prosecution in Houston. We'll see what happens with that. Um, and he's got this whistleblower lawsuit where he fired some employees who went to the FBI about him, and that's why he then fired them. Right? Did you keep up with all of that? Um, and he's locked in battle in court with them as well. And a judge in that case has said that he has to testify under oath. He has to give a deposition, um, which in all of the things that I've mentioned so far, all of those impeachment trials and criminal trials and all of that, he hasn't had to testify. Nothing under oath from him. All you ever hear from him, which we'll get to some of the other things he's saying about the border and all that, none of that's under oath. So it doesn't, when you go on Fox News Channel, they don't swear you in on a Bible first and make sure you're going to tell the truth. So we'll get to that stuff in just a bit. Because I think what he's saying there really is a deflection, a distraction from the other issues that he's facing. I think you would probably agree with that. Here's what you wrote on social media. Quote, wow, the state senator, Drew Springer, who's a Republican, who voted to acquit Attorney General Ken Paxton at the impeachment trial, says, I urge the lieutenant governor and my Senate colleagues to consider reopening Paxton's impeachment. Jeremy, what was he saying here in this letter that he put out? Yeah, it's like uh, it's basically a calling for a do-over, right? He's saying that because of the way uh, Paxton's trying to prevent, you know, the, the deposition from happening uh, in his, you know, cases with these whistleblowers, you know, he doesn't want to testify, right? And but but Springer's saying, look, you know, there's an admission of guilt here mm-hmm. in what Paxton's saying that's different from what he argued before the Senate. He's he's essentially saying that there's, you know. The, the testimony from Paxton has changed. And mm-hmm. thus, you can see why he's saying, hey, we want to do over now. It's like, you know, we should look at, you know, like, is he saying stuff now that isn't, you know, in line with what he was telling us just a few months ago? Right. In his letter, uh, which you posted there uh, on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, uh, Springer said that there was probably an attempt to mislead the Senate. He also said to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and the other senators that, you know, if the Senate doesn't at least consider going back and reopening the trial, which I don't even know if they can do that, Jeremy. Of course, as we pointed out here on the show, anybody who tells you that they're an expert on Texas impeachments 
is probably doing some resume inflation because there's only been three of them. Most of us were not even around for the other two, right? Um, he said that, uh, Springer said that failure to at least consider this possibility runs the risk of A.G. Paxton making a mockery of the Texas Senate. And when he said that, there were those of us who said, well, maybe the ship has already sailed on on whether the <laughs> whether he you know made a mockery out of the Texas Senate. The whistleblowers are outspoken about this. One of them, Blake Brickman, spoke to uh, CBS 11 television in Dallas-Fort Worth about how Paxton is basically, as you said, Jeremy, changing his tune about a whole lot of what he's been accused of. It's remarkable. A complete 180 he's done. Blake Brickman, one of four whistleblowers who filed a lawsuit against the attorney general's office for being wrongfully fired, isn't impressed with Ken Paxson's latest filing in the case, which says they are no longer contesting the allegations against him. But it also says, quote, there should be no doubt, however, that nothing stated herein should be construed as an admission that the OAG, its employees, or the attorney general violated any state or federal law. He cannot stop his deposition in this case. And what he's doing is saying, I'm not going to concede the facts. I'm going to allow a judgment to be entered, but I didn't break the law. It's pretty wild, Jeremy. What, 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 the, what the attorney general is saying is, we're not going to fight you about this lawsuit, but I'm not admitting that you're right. But, and I'll add this, the people of Texas should pay the settlement to whatever the judgment is in the case, pay money to these people who are suing Paxton. In that uh, letter uh, and in that filing from Paxton, his office has basically said that the legislature should come up with some number to give these whistleblowers so that they'll go away. And, you know, it's important that they be paid if, in fact, they were right. right? And it seems like the attorney general is at least saying that he's not going to fight them about whether they're right, right? That's that's just sort of a weird situation. He said, I'm not saying y'all are right. I'm just saying I'm not going to fight you about whether you're right. <laughs> um, but in, in the end on this, it would be that the legislature, the House and Senate, would have to fund whatever the judgment is in this case, which, remember, this all started as a settlement that would have been $3 million. It could be a lot more than that, right? It could be, you know, $10 million. I mean, these, these are people who are, you know, highly paid professional attorneys who have had their reputation sullied. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really important to rem you know, remind folks, that's why we're here, right? That when Ken Paxton went to the legislature to try to get, you know, these, you know, uh, these payments, you know, through the state, he wanted tax dollars to go cover you know, these whistleblowers in their complaints. It's like, that's a big piece of this whole thing. It's like, this is a public thing once that happens, right? This isn't just like some, you know, uh, distant scandal that's like part of his personal life. No, no, this is in the, the, in the public eye now, asking for public dollars. That's why the House did the ent entire impeachment to begin with, uh, right. because they were being asked to fund something that they didn't think, you know, was, you know, uh, proper use of tax dollars. That's where it all starts, right? And here we are. It's like, you know, and, and I don't mean to characterize everybody in the great city of Munster, Texas, but, you know, that's where Drew Springer's from. And mm. he's pretty conservative. We're not talking, yes. you know, there aren't a lot of liberals coming on Munster, you know, Texas, you know. So so as, as he's saying this stuff, like, we're not talking about some, you know, moderate wing of the Republican Party having second no. thoughts. We're talking about a conservative's conservative is sitting there going, wait a minute. Did we just get, you know, a switcheroo here that we need to kind of look at again? So that's yeah. kind of the key point, I think, in this. As of now, we have not seen, and we're uh, recording the show on Friday afternoon, we haven't seen a response from Lieutenant Governor Patrick 
or the other state senators. I haven't seen anything on that just yet. Of course, we'll update it uh, at quorumreport.com if we do see that. Uh, as of now, and Paxton's trying some more, um, you know, legal, uh, you know, fancy footwork to try to get out of testifying under oath. They're, they're still working on that. Another appeal, they're making a request to one of the appeals courts right now. I think it's the third court of appeals um, in Austin uh, where uh, Paxton's trying to get out of testifying once again. Um, you know, in this uh, trial, uh, in in the whistleblower lawsuit, uh, he just doesn't. He, I mean, he will do almost. Any, this is the way, the way a re- very conservative Republican said it to me. He will do almost anything, and maybe just take the word "almost" out. He'll do anything to not have to answer questions under oath about what went on in his office. And again, he's just accused of being very, 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 very corrupt. So we'll we'll continue to follow this and see what happens. The things that he does want to talk about are what, Jeremy? And you and I were talking about this before the show. You have Republicans who want to make an election year about one issue, which would be immigration, border security, and what they're calling an invasion on the Texas-Mexico border. And you have Democrats who want to make this more about women's right to choose for uh, reproductive rights and abortion rights and all of that. We'll get to abortion in just a bit. We'll start with the Republicans. We'll stay with Ken Paxton. Paxton, again, not under oath on the Sean Hannity show, as you pointed out to me, was saying some things that are probably nowhere close to reality. Um, I'm not sure. It it reminded me of the speech that I listened to Paxton give in Beaumont, where it's just completely untethered from anything close to the truth. Uh, He was on Fox News telling Sean Hannity that he thinks that President Biden has cut some kind of deal with drug cartels to bring undocumented people into Texas. As far as a showdown, I don't know what Joe Biden's going to do. So far, it seems like every decision he's made has been a bad decision for our country. He is cooperating, not just cooperating, but he's literally in partnership with these cartels. In the old days, they used to come and try to hide and run away from Border Patrol. Joe Biden's cut a deal somehow where these cartels transport people directly to the Border Patrol, and then they move them around the country. So we're in a terrible situation. Nothing like this country has ever seen before. And I fear the consequences of Joe Biden's decisions for the next years. Now, he made these comments, Jeremy, with the backdrop being that Governor Abbott has said that Texas has a right to defend itself from what he and others call an invasion along the Texas-Mexico border. Abbott, of course, also on Fox News Channel, was making his points about what Texas is doing here. Because the Biden administration has really, truly abdicated its responsibility to secure the border and enforce the laws, Texas very simply is securing the border. And so we put up the razor wire that you were talking about, Bill, and we put up all these barricades that actually have denied illegal entry. Uh, and as you pointed out also in that screen, that there are criminals coming across our border. Texas has a right as a state to stop criminals from coming into our state. Abbott talking about razor wire in Eagle Pass, which we have discussed. It's in that park, Shelby Park, where the state has kicked Border Patrol out of the area uh, and has said that, uh, you know, the, the Abbott administration has said that this is an attempt, uh, you know, uh, at an invasion uh, you know, against uh, Texas by people coming in from Mexico. Um, it was pointed out by some pretty conservative people, including uh, State Representative Matt Schaefer, who is not liberal. He said that um, that in the court filings about this, 
in the uh, federal case about that razor wire, which you've reported on, Jeremy, uh, that the state's not actually invoking the clause in the Constitution that has to do with an invasion and therefore, uh, you know, enabling a self-defense posture by by the state. Uh, but this is certainly the rhetoric that Abbott, Paxton, Lieutenant Governor Patrick and others, they're all using this term invasion, which is getting some people pretty whipped up. Yeah, and I think it's really important for us to take a quick step back here. So what happened last week is uh, uh, the Supreme Court uh, actually ruled against Greg Abbott in in Texas. Uh, so the the in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, there was a case there where the state was trying to stop Border Patrol from cutting the razor wire to get to migrants because that's what's been happening in this confrontation. But what happened, you know, the the Supreme Court said, no, we don't want to take this up. And they kicked it back to the lower court. What that essentially means is that uh, it, it it allows the federal government to continue to cut through the razor wire. It doesn't create anything else. You know, the, a lot of these talking heads on Fox, you know, were going all over the place on this topic. It was it was kind of almost good to hear Greg Abbott kind of correct Bill Hemmer at one point during the the show. He was like, yeah. "No, look, look, the Supreme Court didn't say I can't put more razor wire down. They didn't say anything about." you know, what we can and can't do. All it did was, you know, vacate that decision by the Fifth Circuit and make them go redo it. It's like, so he sees it as Texas can keep doing what it's doing. So there is nothing really that kind of has changed in what Texas is going to do. And the Supreme Court hasn't said you can't put razor wire down. I think a lot of people are misunderstanding what was coming out of that decision. But you got to read the the decision carefully. It's only two sentences. It's hardly a decision. They basically just vacated the decision and moved on. But the the second point— Well, it was—I mean, to get legal about it, it was, was, you know, a request for injunctive relief, right? So they sent it back. Down to that, and it was a five-four decision, which some folks, including myself, have read to to think that at least for right now we can kind of see the outlines of where the Supreme Court may come down on a case like this if it's you know fully heard. Which is to say that the Supreme Court may still, even though it is much more conservative than it was, for example, when it heard the case of Arizona versus the United States when their law was struck down. You may see a court that even though is you know you know exactly uh, almost evenly divided it's a very it's a very narrow decision five four that the majority on the court uh, with Justice Roberts and Justice Amy Coney Barrett joining with the more left leaning uh, justices that they still do think that it's the federal government's uh, jurisdiction uh, you know to to you know police the border. Yeah, it's unclear yeah, from this know, ruling. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. we just don't know any of that. Like, they didn't really give us a lot to kind of work off of. Uh, but secondly, I think it's really important to kind of go back to what Ken Paxton said. You know, it's like there's you know one of two things is happening in his comments. He either one doesn't understand what the word literally means. Uh, because the way he kind of said it, or he does, and he has evidence that Joe Biden is working with the cartels. It's mm-hmm. like it's one of the two things, and I, I'm just going to assume it's the first that he doesn't. Re- he was using the word literally incorrectly, like so many people do. <laughs> it is not like no, no. I, I, I think he's doing this. You know, it's like you no. Know, by saying literally, you're suggesting that there is something on paper that is happening, making this happen. You know, it's like there clearly Joe Biden has no deal with the Mexican cartels to come over. Like, I, I don't even have right. to do much research on this to no, tell you, you that everything he yeah. said in that is absolutely can't be true. It's like it's right. just not accurate. And it's like, look, you, there's a lot of ways to criticize Joe Biden on the handling of the border. Like, yeah, go for it. You know, but this is like to suggest that there, he has some sort of secret deal with the cartels is kind of amazingly, you know, 
I'm expecting that from some of the talking heads, but not from elected officials who have, you know, like he didn't have to swear in a stack of Bibles to get on Fox News, but he right. did to get into office. Like, you know, you, you still have to act like a public servant and tell the truth. And I think by him suggesting that Biden has, you know, well, not suggesting, by him telling the audience of yeah. a couple million people that Joe Biden has a deal with the Mexican cartels, literally, for them to send people into the U.S. is absolutely irresponsible. I just don't understand why he would go that far. You listen to Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick, they know not to cross that line most of the time, I'm assuming. Most it's of like, the time. Yeah, it's like, but, but you know, Paxton just blew right through that and left people with this impression. You know, it's like there's some people who are listening who think that he is literally true when he's saying there's literally a deal with the Mexican cartels. These words have consequences, um, and we've seen it before, right? Uh, when the governor was previously using the term invasion all the time to describe what's happening at the border, we saw a guy pack up uh, his stuff in Dallas-Fort Worth and drive 10 hours or whatever it is all the way to El Paso County to hunt brown people because he was under the impression, uh, and it was and it came from somewhere, it came from these people saying these things, uh, that this guy thought that we we're being invaded by Mexico. Um, and we're seeing much the same thing uh, with all this talk of an invasion. And as you just said, Paxton talking about Biden having some deal with drug cartels. Uh, I saw on social media uh, where uh, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke and others were pointing out that there are these people who are posting on TikTok and on Twitter and other places right now that they need to go to Texas. These are people who are not here in Texas who want to come here and volunteer their time to kill people who are coming across the border. And I'm going to play this for you, Jeremy, and the, the language is rough. I'm going to warn everybody about that right now. If you've got kids in the car or whatever, if you're listening on the way to work or whatever, some people do listen to the show that way, uh, you might just fast forward for about two minutes here. But it is important to make this point, that this is the equivalent of you know smoking a cigarette at a gas station and ashing on the gas nozzle and, and acting like nothing bad might happen the way some of these people are talking about an invasion all the time, has some folks so agitated, so worked up, that they're ready to murder people. And they'll say it out loud. Listen. Joe Biden signed a fucking paper stating that all illegals get to go into the national parks and we can't police them. We can't go in there. We can't say shit to them. So they get to go in there and build fucking bomb factories and fucking caves. How much further do we let these motherfuckers take it before we kill them? He's clearly somebody watching someone like Paxton on Fox News Channel saying that there's a deal between Biden and drug cartels. By the way, Jeremy, this guy was not done. Listen to this. How long until we just start cutting their fucking heads off in stores? Let them bitches know they came to the wrong motherfucking country. Like... Sorry, I know I sound a little crazy, but this is getting fucking ridiculous. I've got two goddamn kids, and it is to the point, I have warned my fiancé that it is getting to the point I'm going to fucking volunteer in Texas, and I promise you, if I go to that motherfucker, and I have to give up my life of sitting with my kids, and I have to defend this motherfucking country, I'm not going as a soldier, I'm going as a fucking murderer. No thanks, we don't need you in Texas. Stay wherever you are. This, this guy's posting on... TikTok about coming down to the border here. Now, we told you last week about some of these folks who were getting ready to take their RVs and stuff down to the Eagle Pass area. Uh, they were calling for thousands of people to go down there. I don't know that they had a whole lot of success with getting a lot of people down there, although I think some did go. Uh, th that guy, 
uh, is not alone. Listen to this guy on TikTok as well. Well, once again, that dastardly diaper-wearing dude from Delaware has decided to double down and continue to violate the constitutional rights of the great state of Texas. I was heading there this spring, but I'm about to hit the gas and kick some ass because the media ain't going to report the truth. We know that. We need creators down there with video evidence. Maybe we can force the Supreme Court to work. But before we get into that, first off, for all of those of you who help with my travel expenses on the GoFundMe, thank you very much, and I hope everybody will continue to do so. Oh, that guy's just a grifter looking for cash. You can find him on Cash App and Venmo and wherever else. So that, imagine that, Jeremy. There are some people who are trying to, you know, make a little business out of this, travel around the country and go down to Texas for free. Um, this does have a real-world effect where people are so angry that they're willing to, you know, put bullets in a gun and shoot people. And I had some... Um, some response to the show last week where people were saying, Scott, you're, I mean, you're, you probably are overestimating, um, you know, what, what the effect of some of this rhetoric can be. Uh, when I pointed out that that's exactly why the guy twisted off, uh, in El Paso, uh, years ago. And I think you get into this debate where people will say that, you know, that what Abbott and Patrick Paxton, whatever they're saying, those are just words. And that's not, you know, that you can't blame them if someone who's not, you know, mentally, uh, you know, uh, right in the head, if somebody, somebody is a, a disturbed person and they twist off and do something terrible, you can't blame those people in power uh, who said all those things for what the, you know, for what a deranged person does. Um, but again, you have people so angry because they're not listening to anything other than all of this talk of an invasion from Tucker Carlson, Glenn Beck, I saw that uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick was on the Glenn Beck show where they're talking about an invasion. Um, here's the thing. There's a reason that in the lawsuits and in the uh, legal back and forth between the state of Texas and uh, the feds that this whole clause uh, that deals with an invasion in the United States Constitution that's really not key to any of the arguments that are being made. Because legally, and I know some people are going to have a problem with this. I'll get some negative feedback about this as well. When they say invasion, Jeremy, that is political rhetoric, full stop. An invasion in a court case has a legal definition. And what's happening on the border now is an immigration issue. There is um, disorderly immigration at the moment. As you said, there are plenty of um, critiques you could offer that are legit about the Biden administration, where they're handling, handling things. Um, but it's not an invasion legally. It's not. And here's the thing. Uh, you don't have to ask me. There are, for, you know, there are, you know, previous court precedents about that, about what constitutes an invasion. I'll give you an extreme example of what would fall under the definition of invasion if Mexico, for example, was sending their military into El Paso. That would be an invasion. That you know, and so of course, you know, the feds would have to then send uh, our military there to deal with that, and that would be a hot war with Mexico, which we're not in obviously. Um, when people use this term invasion all the time, and then they try to act as if that needs to have some uh, legal bearing on what's happening in the court cases with this, that's just not happening. They're, they, are t they are telling people that our country, and I'm, you know, Abbott, I'll name their names again, Abbott, Patrick, Paxton, all these people, telling people that we're being invaded and using this term, self-defense. Now, in a legal sense, when you use the term self-defense, what are you setting the you know the predicate for, or what are you what are you what are you telling people is okay to do, to kill people, right? If you say if you say it's an act of self-defense, 
then it's justifying killing people. That's what these folks are telling the Fox News viewers and the Glenn Beck viewers and all the rest. And to act as if that's not going to have some kind of an impact in the real world, uh, these guys just are not dealing with reality. Well, and let's remind people what we're talking about here. It's like, you know, when you say invasion, you get this image of people carrying guns and what have you, you know, coming across the bridges, ready to take over Laredo or what have you. But let's remember the reality, like the the woman and two children who drowned in the river uh, earlier this month were is what they're talking about. That's the invasion. It's a mother and two children. We're talking about, like, uh, yesterday there was another report that uh, from Texas DPS that there was a, a, a Nicaraguan man uh, who, you know, drowned in the river. It's like we're talking about people who are literally trying to come to the country for their family a lot of the times, if not all of the time. Uh, and so those are the people that, you know, these people are – threatening to murder right it's like right. as if it's like we haven't done enough to make it as hard as possible right to for these people to seek asylum in the u.s in in any legal capacity you know and this goes to the biden administration too it's like there's clearly not a functioning ascent, uh, asylum process that these people think they, they can use to to make their claim you know, so thus they're coming across. There's a yeah. there's a reason why this is all happening, and like I'm a pox in all their houses type of mood right now. But like if you know the the Democratic and Republican uh, leadership, they know the the system is broken. They all know it, you mm-hmm. know, and yet they're they're struggling to come to some sort of repair or fix or even want to tamp this down because it has so much value to everybody politically right. to make people this angry because angry makes you vote for people, mm-hmm. right? So Greg Abbott's popularity nationwide is soaring as people around this, uh, the nation yesterday, all these governors from all these other states were, were saying, we stand with Greg Abbott. We stand with Texas. It's like you had Ron DeSantis you know, making statements saying he's, you know, standing with Greg Abbott. This yeah. is all helping Greg Abbott. The more inflamed this conversation gets, it's not bad politically for right. any of the people we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick, uh, Paxton, and Abbott are clearly benefiting from this conversation being where it is. And no deal to be had in Washington. Apparently, they have been trying to, you know, come up with some kind of immigration and border security package in the United States Senate. And to the point you just made, uh, Senator Mitt Romney, who is retiring. An interesting uh, point here, Jeremy. Romney, who's retiring, saying, hey, we should be doing this and we shouldn't uh, just let uh, a deal fall you know, on the altar of, uh, of politics, of presidential politics. Um, Senator Springer, who's retiring saying earlier in the show that, oh, by the way, maybe we should go back and look at this Paxton thing. The guys who are retiring from politics don't have to deal with the reality of what you just talked about. They don't need to deal with trying to find votes next time. So Romney told reporters uh, on Capitol Hill that it is shameful that former President Trump is reaching out to lawmakers there, particularly those in the Senate, and saying, don't do a deal on immigration reform. Don't do anything on border security. And the reason is just nakedly political that Trump wants the issue to try to beat up on Biden with in November. I think the border is a very important issue for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, And the fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame 
uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. But the but the reality is that that uh, we have a crisis at the border. The American people are suffering as a result of uh, what's happening at the border, uh, and someone running for president ought to try and get the uh, you know the problem solved as opposed to saying, "Hey, save that problem. Don't solve it. Uh, let me take credit for solving it later." And that's the whole key, Jeremy. Is who gets the credit? It, it, you know, I mean, if they can, and it, we should say this too. The bill that they're talking about, the proposal that's being hammered out, and we haven't seen the actual language yet, but we've you know we've all read the reports about kind of what the outline of the uh, of the deal would be on uh, asylum reform and uh, on border security itself uh, at the federal level. Uh, you know, we'll see what any uh, potential piece of legislation looks like. Although, as Romney said, looks like that's probably scuttled uh, for now in Washington. Um, but what they have been talking about, it ain't no liberal deal. This is a pretty conservative um, piece of legislation that they've been talking about in the United States Senate. And you have seen Democrats speaking out against it. It's not just that you have Trump saying, don't do it because it would hurt him potentially politically in the campaign. Democrats have said that what's being talked about in the Senate is too extreme as far as border security and doesn't do enough on the immigration side. Uh, So it's one of those issues that's hard enough to try to solve to try to get Republicans and Democrats to work together, it's hard enough if you don't have somebody from the outside like Trump who's trying to sabotage the whole thing. Well, and and uh, I've heard this said a few times. I'm, I, I'm not sure if it was Romney, but there was somebody else uh, who probably said it. But like the thing is, like right now, the way things are set up in in Congress, like if you wait on this, it doesn't mean this deal is going to be there when Trump. You know, if he were to win the you know presidency, you know right. they can't win enough Senate seats to assure that the Democrats would then you know pass something through like they are willing to right now, right? So it's like so there's a political you know calculation here that like you know what these Republicans are concerned about. They finally have the Democrats in a position to support some Republican ideas that you know liberal Democrats are upset about, but they're willing to have the vote on it to make this issue come down a little bit sure there's a political maneuver to it but it's also probably really good for the country to finally have some sort of bipartisan piece of legislation to kind of deal with the asylum process you know that both neither side is going to be 100 percent happy with but at Mm -hmm. least it's moving in a direction that as you pointed out in the last show that we haven't moved in any sort of immigration direction on, on dealing with this stuff in like 30 years it's like Jeremy. Ronald Reagan was my president the last yeah. time somebody like had a constructive plan to deal with the border and it got through Congress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's, well, like, it's been a while. Uh, some of our listeners um, will appreciate this. Taylor Swift was not born yet when they passed the Immigration Control Act in 1986. Yeah. And of course, all the, all the Swifties just yelled at, at their, uh, at their uh, earbuds and you know, they all just yelled out just now. She was born in 1989. So it was three years later. All right. I mean, this is this is forever ago. As we have pointed out on the show, um, the books, uh, the, the you know, the, the law books now on immigration, it was all crafted for the realities of the 1980s, yeah. the migration patterns of the 80s, who was coming in and who was, uh, you know, who, who, who might have been a security risk and who wasn't in the 1980s, what the economic realities were of the 1980s. And when you hear Greg Abbott and Paxton and Patrick say that the only thing you should do is enforce the laws that are on the books, that's exactly what's being attempted. Um, has been attempted by administra- by the Bush administration, the Obama administration. Remember when Obama was there, liberals called him the deporter-in-chief 
because he he had to, to that point he had deported more undocumented people than any president up till that time, right? Then Trump came along and did his thing, and we had the whole controversy with the kids in cages, the family separations, and all of that. The Democrats got upset about. Uh, but I'll make this point again: it's the Republican base that stays upset about this, no matter what the facts are, no matter what the migration patterns are whether the numbers are up or down, apprehensions are up or down, encounters with migrants are up or down, where the people are coming from, whatever. And Democrats only get upset about it or want to do anything about it if either there's something like the kids in cages that we saw um, you know, under the Trump administration. And remember, the pushback to that was, well, who, who built the cages in the first place? It's not like it never happened under President Obama. You know, to be fair, there was that whole back and forth about that. Uh, but Democrats, as you said, also have a political motivation as well to try to fix this now because they don't even want it to be an issue coming up in November. I would say for both of them, it's sort of a pox on both their houses. As you said, that for Republicans and Democrats, screw it. If you have a chance to do something that would be good for the country overall, then do that, even if it is an election year. Yeah, and one of the big changes, and you hit on the immigration patterns, the big difference, you know, it's like in the mid-1980s, you know, this is really important to understand in terms of world history, right? In the mid-1980s, Venezuela was one of the most stable economies in the entire South American continent. It's like it was in really good shape. It was a company. It was a country that we were doing a lot of business with. Uh, had a lot of democratic, you know, potential growing in that nation. Now. I would argue, and I think a lot of people in the international community would argue, Venezuela is the reason why we have this surge of migration hitting Texas like we are right now. You have 7 million people under some estimates that have been displaced from Venezuela as it has you know, spiraled into this socialist dictatorship where inflation is rampant and people literally can't feed their families. That is, look how different everything is. We, you know, The last time we dealt with immigration, we had no idea that one day Venezuela would be this constant spigot of, you know, humans having to find relief, right? And that's what's happening right now. And we still haven't, you know, over the last couple of years, we just haven't addressed this, you know, in any way, shape or form. And we've added maybe to the problem, uh, you know, again, there's a, another good geopolitical debate on how you handle Cuba. But one of the things that did affect, you know, what, why there's so many Cubans now coming through here is that we ended wet foot, dry foot, which was the policy that once uh, uh, people from Cuba made it to Florida, yep. mm -hmm. once you made it on the land, you could stay. You know, it's like, and so you didn't have to go through Mexico up to the Texas border like they're doing now. What's happening in Eagle Pass is largely dominated by Venezuelan and Cuban migrants who are coming yeah. to the border there. That is what's happening. Nobody wants to talk about that specifics and, you mm -hmm. know, the, all the rest of the strings to that thing. But, boy, I really wish somebody would because I think that would really kind of go a long way if we could figure out how to deal with Venezuela in a, in a way in which 7 million people didn't want to leave it, that would probably be good for this whole debate. Absolutely. Now, on to what the Democrats want to talk about, which is um, reproductive rights. And they're, put, they're going to put a big spotlight on this during the State of the Union address. One of the uh, big Democratic activists in New Hampshire um, was telling me just the other day, Jeremy, that she's been telling um, women in particular, but but everyone, um, when they go vote this November, that they need to take Kate Cox with them into the voting booth, that they need to be thinking about that story when they do it. 
You have the Democratic organizers who are saying, look at what's happening in Texas, where a woman who was seeking an abortion, who didn't even really want an abortion, but was seeking one because of a medical issue, her doctor was saying that, you know, not only is this not going to be a successful pregnancy that will end in the birth of a healthy child, that that's not going to happen, um, but also this would impair her and, you know, probably uh, prevent any future ability of this woman to have children going forward. And there are some Republicans who I have heard from who say, you know, there's nothing pro-life about that. When you say that this woman wants more kids and you're putting her in a position where she wouldn't be able to have them. Uh, Kate Cox has now accepted, I saw where it was, uh, uh, the, the invitation had been extended to her. Uh, Kate Cox of Dallas invited to the State of the Union address. And, you know, the, the president, whoever it is, always tries to make you know, a big deal about whoever they invite to the State of the Union because they are going to tell the story of that person and put it out there on display for the nation during one of the big moments of pomp and circumstance in Washington. Kate Cox, of course, uh, has uh, become sort of a rallying cry, as I said, for those who are trying to fight against the restrictions we have on abortion in Texas. Cox uh, told uh, CBS News that the whole ordeal of having to, as you remember, she went to court. She went to all the way to the Texas Supreme Court, which refused to clarify for her whether she could even qualify for a medical abortion to get a legal abortion in Texas. Um, and by the way, the, the court said that uh, the Texas Medical Board could at least weigh in on that and give physicians some guidance about what medical exceptions even are in the state. Right now, it's just sort of chaos. Women and physicians don't even know what qualifies really for for that medical exception. Uh, Cox told CBS News that all of it, all the stuff I'm talking about, uh, has just been a nightmare. I wanted to be here, close to home. I mean, it's the hardest thing I've been through. I wanted to come home, cry on my own pillow, hold my babies, um, be near my doctors. So I was really hopeful. That's, yeah. that's really what I thought about most um, going yeah. into this. Some of the people on this other side of the issue say, why not just have the baby naturally and whatever happens happens mm -hmm. i want more babies i talked with our doctors and i didn't want her to suffer i felt it was best for her and i felt it was best for our family as well we want to be able to have more babies we want to give siblings mm -hmm. um, to our kids now um in texas steve and amy bresnan uh, who are longtime attorneys and lobbyists at the texas capitol have petitioned the Texas Medical Board to weigh in with what they call a rulemaking uh, to take take the law and uh, let physicians know uh, exactly what they're allowed to do as far as uh, you know a medically necessary abortion. Um, and you know this is something that gets controversial with both sides, by the way, uh, Jeremy, because there are some of those uh, political organizers uh, on you know, on the Democratic side who don't want to see a specific list put out of what the medical exceptions would be. For an abortion, there is there's also the argument uh, about some Republicans, not all, but that some Republicans want to see there be just chaos, as I mentioned, uh, on that that you know that physicians that, that women would have no clue what is legally allowed in Texas. Um, and when you look at what the uh, Supreme Court said in the Cox case, uh, they said that the medical board is, and this was uh, this is straight from the from the ruling that they made, the medical board is empowered under Texas law to go ahead and, and sort of clarify what's in the law for physicians. So far, the court and the medical board have basically said that they don't want to be a substitute for the legislature. 
that lawmakers should have spe- that basically all these folks are are arguing that all the all the folks who don't want to see a you know some kind of clarifying document for for physicians they're saying that the medical board and the supreme court should not actually spell out what the exceptions should be that the policymakers should do that and of course then you get into a whole argument about separation of powers but the court did say that the court that the uh, that the medical board can do it the medical board has said that they'll at least take a look at it and and I think they have I might be getting this wrong, but 60 to 90 days uh, as far as whether they might weigh in on that. So we'll update you on that. As far as the political potency of this issue, Jeremy, um, I, you know, you look at the polls and just anecdotally, you hear it from women all over the place that they are angry about what has happened in states like Texas and other states uh, that have enacted very tight restrictions for abortions ever since Roe versus Wade was overturned in the Dobbs decision. Um, and, you know, this is not going away. It just, you know, immigration not going away and abortion not going away. This will be the first big election in which voters are going to get a direct say about what they think about this as far as picking a president and, you know, picking U.S. senators. We have a Senate race here in Texas. Uh, Ted Cruz will not even answer questions about this. We have played the audio for you here on the show of Cruz running away from reporters when he was asked about whether Texas is, um, you know, doing the right thing and enforcing the law the right way in the Kate Cox case specifically and across the rest of the state. Um, And increasingly, Jeremy, we've talked about this in the last couple of years, actually, on the show, that Republicans and Democrats just don't even talk the same language. They don't don't even speak the same language about any of these things and increasingly don't even want to talk about the same subjects. Republicans would rather make the issue, uh, uh, you know, immigration and Democrats want to talk abortion. Um, You know, the Democrats, as we were saying in Washington, they'd like to get the immigration issue just off the table. Right. And that's why they're willing to go along with maybe a more conservative deal when it comes to immigration and border security. The Republicans only want to talk about immigration with no interest in anything that could be seen as a solution or giving Biden any credit on this. Um, and of course, now in the post-Roe era, where they would be able to do something about immigration in D.C., in uh, you know in the abortion issue, it's going to be at the state level. What's going to happen in Texas? What's going to happen in some of these other places that have cracked down really hard? Yeah, look, you know, Texas is clearly not the most competitive presidential state, you know, come November. Uh, but you're going to hear a lot about Texas and its abortion laws from here on out. Not only, you know, during the State of the Union address, as you pointed out, that, you know, clearly there's going to be some focus on these abortion laws in Texas that made this woman have to go out of state, you know, to get basic health care, right? You know, but then you're going to have, like, you know, on the same day that was happening, uh, the Houston Chronicle, uh, uh, Julian Gill had written a story about how there are new estimates now that show that uh, there were 26,000 uh, rape-related pregnancies in Texas since we banned abortion, uh, including in cases of rape and incest, right? There's, there is no exception in the, in the law. Well, just moments after that story hit, you know, I get a response from, you know, the vice president's office, Kamala Harris. I'd even ask for one. They're clearly just reading our coverage at this point and responding to what they're seeing. So they send me a statement. Kamala Harris wanted to talk about how cruel uh, the Texas law was for not having an exception to rape. And then, mind you, add that to the fact that it was just in November that Kamala Harris was in Houston uh, talking to 
Democrats at both a public event and then at a campaign event later on, where this issue of abortion rights uh, being chipped away in Texas, it was fresh in her mind. So that all tells you that, look, Texas isn't you know, part of the swing states like Wisconsin and you know, Georgia and Arizona. But mm-hmm. what it is, is it's going to be a big part of the entire Democratic apparatus to win the White House. They're going to be talking about the abortion laws in Texas and what it's doing and how it could come to you here in Wisconsin type stuff. Uh, in fact, you know, what do you think you know, Kamala Harris was talking about during her campaign stop in Wisconsin this week? this issue. (laughs) You know, expect to hear Texas talked about nonstop on this issue. And it's funny. And I like how you kind of had framed it. Whereas like Democrats would love to kind of get the immigration issue kind of off the table a little bit. You've heard that from Republicans too. You know, remember, you know, you, you listen to Donald Trump saying he doesn't want to go this extreme on abortion. He's been trying right. to find a place to the left of, you know, Ron DeSantis and other Republicans. So it doesn't sound as extreme because he knows how dangerous this issue is. And mm-hmm. to me, it's kind of setting up for what I've, you know, considered the, you know, the political Super Bowl of the 2024 election, which is you have Republicans banking on immigration being the issue that take gives them the White House right. and Democrats convinced that if they just stick to this abortion issues and how cruel they say, you know, Republicans have become on this, they will win. It's those two issues that are going to be front and center from here till November, whether we like it or not, (laughs) those are going to be the two issues because they're the issues that not only pull well, but they're motivating issues. Mm -hmm. These are the issues that people will crawl over glass to get to the polls to vote on, even if they don't like to have Trump versus Biden again, as the polls tell us that most people are kind of bored with another shot at that, right? Oh, they hate it. it, yeah. But so how do you get those people fired up to vote who, you know, otherwise might go, I'm sitting this one out? You know, for the Republicans, it's all going to be the border and about this invasion coming. You got to save your country. And on the Democratic side, it's going to be they're coming for your women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, look what they're doing to us. It's like women are going to have to be the ones who stand up to fight this back. You know, Joe Biden said it in his speeches. You know, they have te- totally telegraphed what we're going to deal with. And here we are in Texas. We're front and center on both those issues now. Right. right. You know, it's like we are the, the crux of the argument. We are the border state with one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. We're both those things. And so it's kind of a weird kind of uh, ultimate bonus in the end for Texas that we're going to get a lot of attention in the, in the presidential election, whether we like it or not. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, I think that um, the, the Democrats maybe, and it takes, you know, it, it's a tall order for Democrats to get their, their act together in Texas or nationally, but um, they maybe have a, a better mainstream argument um, when it comes to uh, the abortion issue, because I, and I hear this from Republican women all the time, that 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 you know, elected Republicans have gone too far uh, with what they're comfortable with. The people who have previously voted for Republicans and are open to voting for Republicans, particularly those who live in the suburbs, uh, not just here in Texas but elsewhere, places like those big swing states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, etc., um, that they voted for Republicans in the past, but they can't vote for them now based on that issue. Look at the difference between the way Republicans are talking about immigration now versus the way it was talked about in 2016 when it was a successful argument for President Trump. Now, you remember when he came down the golden escalator 
one of the first things that he talked about was they're sending their rapists and all this other stuff. That's, of course, the soundbite that everybody remembers and was disgusting. It's the kind of thing that whips up, you know, one of those people like we were hearing from earlier in the show. But the main argument that was made in 2016 was an economic argument that people are coming in to take your jobs. People are coming in to uh, people are coming in to sort of rob you uh, of your economic success. If you're one of those people who lives in a swing state like Pennsylvania uh, or Michigan, you're, you're in the Rust Belt and you used to have a job in manufacturing. And guess what? It's that your manufacturing jobs have been sent overseas down to places like Mexico, or wherever else. And these migrants are coming in to take work away from you. Now the argument seems to be that there's an invasion going on and they're coming to kill you, which I think most people just don't even believe that, Jeremy. They, 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 most people probably just dismiss that outright because that sounds insane. But the people who do get whipped up by it are those who have a nonstop diet of Fox News Channel, OANN, Newsmax, Tucker Carlson, Glenn Beck podcast, all that sort of stuff. And so for the Republican side, it, it allows them to amp up their base in a way that, you know, creates a great turnout election for them. There's no persuasion going on there. They're not reaching out to the middle. But Democrats are trying to reach out to the middle with abortion. They're trying to reach out to people who have voted for Republicans previously on abortion. We have a lot of them would say, this is all, you know, way too much. And I think that, you know, in some of those swing states, watch this very closely, you know, which third party candidates are able to get onto ballots in which states, you know, that some of that is playing out now. Um, with President Trump, his electoral success, not his polling, but the way that votes actually played out for him in 2016 and in 2020, he basically has a floor of like 46, you know, right? And then he has a ceiling of like 48. <laughs> and so, you know, the Democrats are kind of banking on the idea that they could get some Republicans to vote for them and try to keep these third party folks out. Right. And you see that in the way that the, you know, the, the DNC has handled uh, the nominating process uh, and all of that. Um, and so who's going to win that battle? Not sure. But I would also say this. And this is not to take away from anything you just said. But we are in January. We're almost done with it. We're heading into 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 the second month of the year. At, at the same time on the calendar in 2020, would any of us have thought the rest of the year would be dominated by covid and shutdowns and all of that? No way to know what's going to happen next. The very next year, same time on the calendar in January of 2021, would any of us have thought that the entire discussion for most of the rest of the year would have been a winter storm that killed hundreds of people and the and you know the fact that the grid completely failed? No. So in all likelihood, everything you're saying is right, but this is why we show up for work every day, because you never know what's going to happen next, what's going to unfold. Did you see that Sid Miller, our agriculture commissioner, is he that he's um i guess now hoping that somebody will uh will challenge him to a duel that he that yeah. he's got he's got republic he's he's hoping that a republican would would uh would challenge him to a duel sid miller has been campaigning against his fellow republicans just like ken paxton just like lieutenant governor patrick just like governor abbott on the voucher issue um Sid Miller has cut some television advertisements uh, blasting Speaker Dade Phelan and others. Here's the ad that is running, I guess, in Jefferson County down there in southeast Texas, where Sid Miller says that Dade Phelan is a rhino and he's got to go. Howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here with the Texas Department of Agriculture. Donald Trump, Ken Paxson, and the Republican Party of Texas 
all agree with me. It's time for Dade Phelan to go. Phelan gave Democrats powerful chairmanships. He cuts deals with them every day. This kills our conservative policy that hurts rural Texas the most. Now at least one GOP House member has had enough of this. Um, it came to light that last weekend, Representative Glenn Rogers, who's from Mineral Wells up in North Texas, that's uh, west of Fort Worth, uh, out past Weatherford, uh, Glenn Rogers told Sid Miller in a text message last Saturday night that he is a, quote, bought and paid for pathetic narcissist. And he went on to say that Miller should, quote, kiss my ass. Now, the reason that we know about this is because on, I guess it was on Monday, uh, Sid Miller posted the text message from Glenn Rogers to Sid Miller's social media, which I think on Facebook he has a million people on his page. He has fewer followers than that on on Twitter, but he gets a lot of activity as he, you know, he calls himself Trump's man in Texas. So he's big on, big on the social media stuff. Uh, but he was never banned from Twitter. I don't think, although he, he might've been for a little bit when he called Hillary Clinton, a name starts with a C <laughs> and it's a four word, a four letter, excuse me, four letter word. Um, the text from representative Rogers, which was sent around uh, 9 PM on Saturday evening said that if Miller quote, if he had any honor, you would challenge me or any of my Republican colleagues to a duel instead of strutting around posting pictures with a rifle and threatening to shoot rhinos. Rogers, uh, by the way, faces two challengers in his primary in March, uh, said that apparently, quote, a rhino now is any conservative Republican who's not bought and paid for by Ferris Wilkes and Tim Dunn. Of course, those are the big, uh, you know, mega donors in the Republican Party, the billionaires from West Texas who have funded efforts to uh, go after incumbent. Republicans. These um, these races for Texas House uh, in places like Abilene, where I am today, in Mineral Wells, uh, where Rogers is from, um, and in a few other places, uh, maybe down in uh, in the Temple area, uh, where Representative Hugh Shine is the is the representative. These things are heating up. Um, there is some social media activity on these things, Jeremy. But as far as I can tell, on the ground, and this is part of what we were talking about last week. When you go to these districts, at least so far, and I'm in the middle of my travels now, I don't see that much action on the ground. It, I, there, are, there is not a whole lot of, and it's raining today, Friday afternoon in in, uh, in Abilene, so not a lot of chance to do block walking and things like that today, but I haven't heard a lot about those efforts. Um, I have seen some campaign signs. Um, Stan Lambert is the state representative for this area here in Taylor County, and his challenger has Ken Paxton's face on her yard signs, on her campaign signs. His face is almost as big as her face is on the campaign sign, <laughs> which seems like a very strange thing to do. Um, you've got Paxton running around, uh, just like Sid Miller, just like Greg Abbott, threatening these fellow Republicans. And I have really started to think, and I, who knows? You know, I mean, things could change. We have, we have a little ways to go. Uh, as of last week, we were about a month out from early voting, so we're about three weeks out now, right? Something like that. And um, I think the people who are trying to challenge these incumbents, including Sid Miller, are really playing catch up. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of noise right now. But there's not that much happening on the ground. I'm not seeing a lot of spending happening. We haven't seen that yet. In past elections, there have been uh, a lot of cases where we get what we call 
late money bombs where different groups will go in and you know spend a bunch of money against a candidate, kind of a sneak attack, try to you know try to take somebody out. But as you have pointed out many times, if you're going to run for one of these offices, you have to start early. And a lot of these incumbents have been campaigning since it's not that they've been campaigning since last summer, which might be ideal. But at least a lot of these incumbents have been really working it since last fall when they were still in um, the legislative session, special sessions uh, on this issue of school vouchers. And um, that being the main issue, but some of the other things that were, you know, debated during those many special sessions last year, property taxes and everything else, um, all of that was in the mix. Uh, But wow, it is really hard to see how any of this noise on social media, I don't think that anybody who lives in Mineral Wells probably gave a whole lot of thought to whatever just, you know, Sid Miller put on his Facebook page. If they're not, one, uh, just one anecdote here in Abilene, there's a person here um, who's a political professional, somebody who does it for a living, you know, has run campaigns in the past and will probably do it again. Uh, when I arrived in town, he goes, Scott, why are you here? There's no race. There's no what, There's no race to cover, as far as this person could tell. And this is a deeply embedded Republican, Jeremy. Yeah, okay, there's a lot to kind of unpack here. So, you know, and, and it's only going to get worse mm-hmm. and not better. Because and, and what I mean is like as Donald Trump, you know, rolls through the reelection process or the election process in those early states, it's making our primary less and less interesting for casual Republican voters, right? It's like they're like, you know, you're, you're going to get your Trump diehards out there. And I guess Biden people will come out and vote to make sure he's the nominee. But look, there's no action, you know, basically for either one of the you know top of the ticket candidates. So, and the last time that happened was 2012. And our turnout that year was 16%. I'm not kidding. 16%. That's half of what we normally get in a presidential primary. Uh, But when you have nothing going on at the top, that means there's just not many people voting. So that puts even more pressure on the uh, people trying to knock out incumbents down ballot. Mm -hmm. Because now there's nobody helping you with the get out the vote operation. It is all you. It is all your campaign at this point. And so that puts a lot of pressure. You know, I know a lot of campaign experts who say, like, in this situation, it's like you've got to be on the ground constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, working your get-out-the-vote operation. That means a lot of door-to-door. That means Mm -hmm. a lot of personal contact with these voters because you know who they are. You have to know who the super voter is. That's who's coming to vote in this election. There's yeah. not going to be casual people coming. It's, like, it's mm-hmm. funny. What, it was so bad in 2012 for the Democratic side. It's like the actual turnout was less than 600,000 people for the entire state. Right. It's like that is so few people making the decision who your nominee is. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do. As one <laughs> consultant told me, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack to find even – your best voter and the needle is gold <laughs> in this haystack yeah. <laughs> good luck trying to find it in this haystack because it's so difficult to do so so that's a long way to say it's even harder to knock out an incumbent when the voter turnout's going to be this abysmally low mm-hmm. it's like it's just there's just not, not a lot of energy out there it's what you're seeing in abilene there's no energy in some of these races it's what i saw in deer park nobody in normal world is talking about the big primary election coming up it's like because there isn't one. It's like people are assuming Trump has won the nomination. And, mm-hmm. and you know, unless Nikki Haley pulls off kind of a miracle in South Carolina, right. it's going to be hard to convince people like, hey, there's certainly going to be no presidential advertisement. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the Senate candidates don't have any money to do it. Ted Cruz doesn't care. He's not going to be putting any money into this race. He just wants to win. Because right. yeah. he's one of those incumbents. It's best people don't know there's an election coming up, you know, right. because his hardcore supporters will make sure he gets the nomination. All's mm-hmm. fine. And so you can see how the whole structure of this primary, <laughs> this is sad for a guy who loves covering primaries. Yeah. This is going to be garbage. <laughs> this it is gonna, it's like well, nobody in the real world, like try to tell your neighbor why they should go vote. I had actually one of my Republican neighbors ask me, why should I vote? And I'm like, I don't know right now. There's not a lot on your ballot. It's like, like, well, if you want to vote for Trump, you know, just because. You You're right. You mm-hmm. know, if you want to vote for Cruz, just because. You and there's can. no primary for any of our state you know, legislative districts in my area. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what else do I tell them? It's like, yeah. Yeah, go do it just so you can say you did your civic duty type thing is what it becomes. That's the kind of voter you're getting. You're getting the kind of voter who's like definitely not going to be fired up about their, you know, county commission seat or your, you know, sheriff's race or mm-hmm. like it's like that is where well, all the pressure of this race is. So it's like, it's going to be really kind of, like I'm kind of bracing myself for potentially disastrously low turnout 2012 mm-hmm. was the closest example where we had this where we had obama running for re-election and nothing mm-hmm. coming from uh, and mitt romney had already sewn up the two uh, the republican nomination so nobody yeah. voted that year right and you know i just would like people to be prepared for it to kind of go either way we have seen all of these headlines where and this is what i mean we've seen all these headlines about how this is going to be the bruising, bloody primary. It's going to be you know, so hard for uh, a lot of these Republicans to make it through their elections. Um, and I get why people were writing headlines that way, uh, because it was so much noise. So Abbott's yeah. going around talking vouchers and Paxton's going around talking about retribution. And we called it the, the retribution primary, which is, you know, maybe the question uh, that's going to be asked of the voters who do show up is like, you know, do, do you side with Governor Abbott? in his quest for retribution against this person over vouchers? Or do you do you side with Attorney General Ken Paxton because you think that he was wronged, you know, by the Texas House that impeached him? 60, you know, 60% of Republicans voted to take out your conservative Attorney General. Um, that's maybe the question that's going to be asked, but not that many voters are going to be turning out to answer the question. Um, and I'm not sure that folks are, you know, even going to care about that second question about the impeachment thing. I know there's been a lot of noise about it. Certain third-party groups and Ken Paxton himself, they've been trying to make noise about it. Um, in some ways, it may be um, counterintuitive that if if he had been taken out of office, if he had been removed by the Senate, he might be, I've, I've made this point before, but I'll say it again, he might you know, have a better case to go make on the Tucker Carlson show. He could say, they took me out. He could be, you know, more like President Trump running around now talking about, uh, you know, how he, he was, you know, robbed in the election last time, which of course isn't true, but it's not as if Republican voters haven't been open to, you know, arguments that are not true. <laughs> so, so they're, they are there, you know, listening to Trump say all that. They might listen to Paxton say some version of that if he had been taken out, but he's just still there. He's just still there in office. What's the problem? What's the problem you're trying to fix by, you know, running around and doing all these rallies? So uh, you have Ted Cruz, who is, you know, Cruz, who you mentioned, he's uh, inserting himself into some of these races at the Texas House level, making endorsements. uh, And he's also, um, you know, trying to rally people around the school voucher issue. It just doesn't seem like there's any energy around it. And in fact, here in Abilene, the incumbent, who I mentioned, Stan Lambert, there are signs around town here that say, teachers stand with Stan Lambert. He's pro-public education. That's an argument that's being made here in these parts of the state where, of course, uh, public ed has 
um, and maybe an outsized influence uh, in the local economy and the local community. Well, and, and look, I, I'm going to take a very unpopular position here, but uh, look, uh, maybe Sid Miller being in a duel could bring a lot of attention to the primary to you know let people know something's even happening. <laughs> That'd probably be the most exciting thing to happen in a duel, <laughs> you know. It was like so it would just bring a lot of attention and everything. But uh, also, I, I should argue against a potential duel because, like, newsflash, <laughs> it did not work you, out. It did not work out for bro- Hamilton or Burr. It's right. like, you know, Hamilton, of course, dies, and then Burr, the like, way, like, his yeah. career was a disaster after that. So it's like, I would mm-hmm. really highly suggest that nobody, you know, do a duel, even if it's going to produce turnout. Don't do it. <laughs> just yes. don't do it. That's I not say the so, way. Yeah, don't do it. I, I want to say this just for the sake of words meaning things. Uh, and this this is for my conservative friends. So many of them over the years have echoed the words of Rush Limbaugh, the late great talk show host who would stress that words mean things. So Sid Miller is going around saying that Glenn Rogers challenged him to a duel. But he didn't. It, it, you have Miller saying, I accept your challenge, uh, but we can duel using words. But if you look at what Rogers actually said, he didn't challenge Miller to a duel. What he said is, if you, Sid Miller, had any honor, you would challenge me and others to duels. Instead of running around just, you know, holding pictures of rifles and acting like you're coming after us, right? That it's all PR and it's all BS is what Rogers is saying. He's not saying he wants to meet him at dawn with pistols. (laughs) He didn't say anything like that. Even though it's all stupid, we should at least, you know, get it right what they're saying. So anyway, as Mr. Kronberg always says, the truth is often the first casualty of any campaign. And that's what we're seeing all over Texas. So we'll continue to cover it uh, for you. Evan Scherer is our producer. Thank you so much, sir. I know that's enough show. I can see it on Evan's face. He's done. Uh, Jeremy's newsletter, you should check it out. It's the pinned post uh, on his X page, the, the page formerly known as his Twitter page. Right at the top there, sign up for his free newsletter. Uh, and you should subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.